Well, good morning again. I'm glad you're here. I want to preach on this gloomy, rainy Sunday morning on the topic of money. <laughs> and let me just say this. Uh, I'm, I, I really do mean it. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And it never fails. Uh, I, I take, since I have been the pastor here, every January, I take two Sundays, two weeks, and those are the two weeks we talk about money. We talk about stewardship, right? And so I've been doing that since, you know, since I got here. And uh, we talk about th- that as, as our topic, stewardship, as the video said, kind of a church word. We don't talk about stewardship much. We talk about managers, and so the oversight and the manager. But here's what's funny to me. It never fails. It has happened every single year. It is the case um, that, that, uh, uh, that somebody is here for the first time. Welcome, and uh, I'm glad you're here, but it never fails that the reason for some people, I know everybody's different, but for some people, uh, perhaps you've had someone inviting you to come to church for a long time, and maybe, again, maybe for some people, you've been resistant, and the reason you've been resistant is you're like, no, I don't don't really do church, I'm not in church, why? And they're like, no, come, come check it out. No, I don't really do it. Well, why? Well, for one thing, every time I go to church... (laughs) All they talk about is money. And you're like, no, it's different. Like, it won't be that way. Like, I promise, you should come. And they finally did. And on January 8th, they're here. And they're looking at you right now like, I told you, right? Uh, The other thing is uh, some people uh, uh, dread hearing about this topic. Some people, uh, uh, preachers even, dread talking about it. I don't don't feel that way. Uh, It can be awkward, you know. Um, uh, money, you know, personal topic, I guess, and so it can be awkward. And I can just say this, like, but Tom, can't a, preacher, can't, can't a preacher be awkward about this topic? To which I can assure you, I can be awkward on almost any topic. So this is like, ask, ask my 13-year-old how cringy dad can be on any given to- topic. So don't, don't worry about that. Um, but I think as a responsible under, was that in fact cringy just now? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, as a responsible under shepherd to feed the flock of God, my thing is like, why would we not talk about it? Why would we not talk about such an important part of our life? When Jesus was here on earth teaching, he talked about, think about how many times he talked about wealth and possessions and money. Why do you think that is? Could it not be because Jesus knew the human heart, oh, we, we, we long to trust. And, and another word for trust might be to, to worship, to honor, to, to, to put our hope in. We long to put our hope in something or someone. The Bible says that's because we were created to put our faith and our trust and our hope in God alone. And one of the chief counterfeits, one of the, one of the chief competitors for trust in God alone would be the idol of money. And it only takes a short while before we realize that money is a counterfeit savior. It looks like it can do the things that God can do. It looks like it would be a safe place to put our faith and our hope. And we know instinctively, we know we're not supposed to do that. But over time, there's sort of a migration of hope. We go back to those old practices. And so to me, January is a great time to say, hey, let's look again at what the Bible says about this topic, about money. And so I don't dread preaching on it. I, I, I think it is a responsible way. Here's why. One last word about this before I show you. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. If you want to begin making your way to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll start in verse 5. But one more word by way of introduction is for some people, they feel like, well, I don't give enough or I don't give as much as I want to. And there can be shame and condemnation around this topic. I want no part of that. 
Uh, when, when I talk about giving money through the local church, th- th- there's no guilt here. Uh, there's no shame. Giving is not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's about grace. It's about a heart that understands. How many of you know this? You cannot outgive God. Can you? He is a giving God. That is in his nature. And as he is shaping his people more and more to be like his son Jesus, we will grow in generosity. And you can mark it down. You can underline it. It will be true. Jackie and I have learned this in our life. I was talking to a a, a dear brother just between the services, and he said the exact same thing. He talked about starting out, him and his wife, and they they, they didn't have much, and they would tithe. And he said, you know, you cannot outgive God. He's been so faithful to us. And I know many of you feel that same thing. It is about a heart. And it's not just giving as if we're going to give to God so that we can get some blessing from God. No, it's just the opposite. We don't give to God to get some blessing from God. We give to God out of response to the blessings with which he's blessed us. Giving is really about grace. It's about a heart that trusts God, that recognizes his ownership and gives him priority. Let me show you Proverbs chapter 3 and We'll see this uh, sort of progression of a heart, a trust, and we recognize God's ownership, and we give him priority. All right, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. These are famous verses. You may, if you know your Bible well, you may be scratching your head going, where's the stewardship emphasis in this? I think these are very much connected to stewardship. Here we go. Trust in the Lord, the Bible says, with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, that's all the text of Proverbs 3 we're going to have time to look at today. I'll go ahead and touch 11 and 12, and we won't return back to it. But let me say this in passing. It could be that, you know, start of the year, many people's New Year's resolutions, they're looking through their finances, they're saying, okay, is there anything we need to do better? Is there anything we need to do differently? It could be that in a, in a series like this, a little mini-series, these two Sundays, that uh, it could be that a child of God, you're, you're sitting here and you feel convicted over giving or you maybe say maybe that's not where it needs to be and you feel challenged by that that's not a bad thing that means look if you feel like the lord is reproving you in an area he's correcting you the lord reproves the one he loves that shows you're his child if you feel if you're ever in a sermon and you feel conviction that's not a bad thing that's a good thing it shows he cares about you as a father in the child he delights hey i remember Years ago, we'd be, you know, some, wherever, the, the, the McDonald's playland, you know, and the, you're in the restaurant, and you got the Happy Meal, and you know, there's kids, and all those kids playing in the little, you know, the germ zone. You know what I'm talking about, right? And they're all over there, and some of them, listen, there's 30 kids out there, and they're going crazy, and some of them are breaking the rules. They're wearing shoes. Some of them are over the height requirement, right? Now, here's the deal. I don't care about 27 of them. I don't discipline, that's not I mean, 
What I mean is, I don't correct, reproof, or diff. I do not offer correction to 27 of them. They're all going crazy. They're doing that stuff. I don't take away the Happy Meal toy of 27 of them. I care very much about three of them. They're the ones with my last name who look like me. (laughs) They're the ones I correct. They're the ones I reprove. They're, why? Because they're my kids. See what I mean? I I don't go around and and tell all the other parents how they should parent. Maybe some of you do that. I don't know. Maybe it's tempting. But that's not my job. No. I care about those three, and I care deeply about them. Does that make sense? If you're here today, and you feel conviction, if you're ever in a sermon, and you feel conviction, hey, the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in the child that he delights in. It means God's speaking to you because he loves you. You're his child. Well, let's get to it. The, the, our focal uh, verse will obviously, the stewardship connections, verse 9, I think. You see that? Did you see that? Honor the Lord from your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That just means honor the Lord with your wealth. Seems pretty easy to understand. Honor means to, 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 to weigh down, to make heavy, right? To take seriously. The opposite of honor would be too slight, uh, to, to, to make light of. And so uh, th- this verse is simple. As God looks at your financial priorities, does he consider himself to be in a place of honor or does he consider himself slighted? There, there, there's going to be something or someone that gets priority as we look at the whole of our finances. And so, so the Bible's saying, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, that, some people would read that and go, oh, whew, great, the sermon's not for me. I don't have any wealth. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it, we'll talk about that. It is always easier uh, to, to, to compare yourself. We, we, might, be, we might have more uh, sometimes than we think, but uh, I would just say wealth here just means whatever you have, whatever the Lord has blessed you with. It's easy to complain about what we don't have and sometimes forgetting to be grateful for what we do have. Whatever you have, he says, honor the Lord with it. And then he gets specific. Here's how. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, first fruits of all your produce. This one culturally may not make as much sense to us, but it would have made perfect sense to an ancient Israelite who's reading this proverb back in the day. So 3,000 years ago, this would have made total sense, right? We, we don't think in terms of, I mean, if, people have, if you have a job today, you probably get a paycheck. You probably don't get uh, produce. You probably don't get, you know, a big bushel of grain or something or a vat of new wine or a, or a barn that's half full of, of, of stuff. This, however, would have made great sense to them. Why? What's this first fruits offering? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 26, you can jot that down if you're a note taker and look that up later. It prescribes in the law of Moses, the, the first fruits offering describes this offering that you would bring to the place of meeting, whether it was a tap, tabernacle and eventually the temple. It was, it's pretty interesting if you, if you think about it that you had an agrarian society, so all these farmers, and you lived, uh, you know how uh, those of you, if you've ever been in a spot where you had to live paycheck to paycheck, it means you didn't have any savings account, you, you, were just, you were just barely trying to make paycheck to paycheck. If that's how you live, then you understand something about the insecurity. Well, they didn't live paycheck to paycheck, they lived harvest to harvest. And you're watching, they didn't have savings accounts, they had barns and vats, and you're watching those resources get depleted and depleted, and you've done everything you can do. You've put the seed in the ground, you've tilled it, you've worked it, you've weeded it, you've done all the work. But then, as even farmers today know, a lot can happen. Crops can get spoiled by insects or drought or uh, flooding or there, there, there can be all sorts of disease. There can be all sorts of reasons why it's not going to come through. And so you're depending on that crop like for your life, for your family's life. If that crop doesn't come up, we're, we're, all gonna, we're not going to make it. We may not make it through till the next cycle, till the next season. So when you, y'all, 
when you see those little heads of grain coming up out of the ground, when you see those first grapes on the vine or whatever fruit you're growing, when you see that, oh, can you imagine what a moment God has done it again. God has provided again. Our family is going to live. Our community is going to live. Why? There's a harvest. And so what you would do, it makes all the sense in the world. You see? What you would do is you would take those first fruits and you'd gather your family around. And of course your kids are going, wow, are we going to profit off that? Go ahead. Get everything you can. Let's sell it immediately. And get, uh, you know, uh, I need new shoes and I need, I need new clothes and, and we need this. Let's sell those first fruits. No. Well, are we going to eat them? I mean, here we go. Our, 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 our grain reserves are very low, and the pantry's very low. But look, here's grain. Mom, let, let's, let's knead this into flour and bake it, and let, let's make some bread. Let's eat it. Nope. What are we going to do? We're going to gather all this up. And before we enjoy any of the profits, before we eat any of this food, come on, fam. Let's go. And they would go to the tabernacle, and there was joy. And they would say things like, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And there they would offer the first fruits. That wasn't so much charity, that wasn't so much duty, y'all. That was a declaration. And it was a declaration of trust. There was even a first, this was such a big deal, there was even one time a year, you would do that at every harvest according to Deuteronomy 26. There's a, when Leviticus lays out the seven feasts of Israel, th this is one they laid out, the first fruits. It's called the feast of the first fruits offering. On the, on the, the let's see, the, the day after the Passover Sabbath, you would offer up those first fruits once a year. It would probably, for that time period, would have been the, the barley harvest, right? So you would take that grain and you would bring it. And you see, right? You see, you're teaching your family. You're teaching. It's a declaration to others. Really, it's a declaration to your own heart. We, God can be trusted. We can trust in him. He provided. So can you imagine back then, if you're a note taker, let me, let me give you some framework here. Back then, to give an offering, to give this first fruits offering, to actually do Proverbs 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, it was, back then, giving an offering meant three things. First off, it was a declaration of trust. Now, it took a while to say it, but that's all I'm really trying to say. It was a declaration of trust. You were saying, we, Yahweh, God, can be trusted. Look, look at what happened. The, the, God has done it again. He's given us a harvest. He can be trusted. Here is the first fruits. It's not the full harvest, but here is what's to come. And we offer this as an offering there at the tabernacle. And they would leave it there with the priests. So it was a declaration of trust. Second, offering. Back then, this first fruit offering. Think about the amount of trust it took to do that. God has provided in the past. He's going to provide. Second, it was a declaration, really, of ownership. It was a way of saying, hey, God owns everything. In Leviticus 25, 23, it says, the Lord said, the land belongs to me. Everything, everything is God's. Even the breath in our lungs, it belongs to God. He, he owns everything. He owns the land. So when you took that first fruits offering to the tabernacle or to the temple, you were saying, everything, everything belongs to God. And I'm a steward. And finally, it was a declaration. Back then, when you gave the first fruits, can you imagine being an ancient Israelite? You gave your first fruits offering. It was a declaration of trust. It was a declaration of ownership. And third, it was a declaration of priority. Priority. God first. It's literally in the name. These are the first fruits. Before we enjoy any of the fruits of this labor, before we spend any of this, before we cash these crops in for profit, let it be known, it's the Lord who's the boss of this family. It's the Lord who's the boss of my life. He gets priority. I enjoy a bounty of leftovers. 
but he gets priority. Now, that's it. That's what first fruits meant 3,000 years ago. So the way I see it, all we got to do is figure out how does first fruits offering, how does that apply? We're not under the law. We don't live as Levitical ancient Israelites, right? We don't have all those laws that govern the tithing system. And tithing, by the way, did you know it's just an old English word? Tithe just means tenth. Uh, and some people are comfortable pointing back to the old covenant and going, see, it says right there, uh, Malachi 3.10, for example, bring, your, bring the tithe into the storehouse. It says it right there. And I'm like, yeah, but, but, but the old covenant law prescribes all sorts of things that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So I'm not comfortable. I, I think there's a lot of uh, legalistic baggage people associate when you use the word tithing. And I know, I'm, I, you know, uh, we could have a longer discussion about this, but I think we're, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So for me, it's not as simple as just picking a few choice texts out of the Old Testament going, what? It says tithe. Everybody should give 10%. You need to give 10%. It's the law. If you're not doing it, you should be ashamed of yourself. I don't understand. It's right there. Tithe. Roll tithe. Like, I, like what's the... What's the holdup? What, right? I think, we need, I think we need a little bit more sophistication in our Bible reading than that. And so uh, uh, I, think, uh, I think we can make this move, but I think we need to carefully and thoughtfully and theologically say, okay, if that's giving the first fruits offering back then. By the way, the, under the Levitical law, they had, the tithe off the, they had a tithe of produce. They had a tithe of livestock. They had all these tithes. Then every third year, they had a special tithe for the... It ended up being like 23% when you, when you add it up. It's either here or there, but e- even that, it was... Pretty, if you walk through, um, they had very specific um, uh, those laws to follow. How then do we take the first fruits offering and say, but we're New Testament Christians who are under grace. We're free from the law. We're not under the law. So how, and, and, and if you want a fuller discussion of this, you can go back. I think it was a couple years ago I preached a sermon called, Before We Talk Tithing, Let's Talk Shirts. And it was about Leviticus 19.19, which says, Thou shalt not wear a garment woven of two types of material. So if you're just going to carry over everything from the Old Testament and apply it legalistically to a New Testament Christian, you better not be sitting there with a cotton poly blend, pagan, right? You, you, you see what I'm saying, right? And so it all started with that question, right, if, you, if and how you do that. So if you want a fuller discussion of that, I don't want to take uh, any more time with that now. So then um, what do you do as a New Testament Christian? I believe the New Testament, since we're free from the law, we carry over the spirit of God's law. It was from God. There's nothing, remember, there's nothing wrong with the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. What did Jesus do? He fulfilled it. And in fulfilling it, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And you might, you might put it this way. We're not, free, we're not free to do less than the Old Testament law. If anything, we're free to do more. If you think of the Old Testament as training wheels on a bike, there's nothing wrong. But you know what's better than training wheels? An internal sense of balance. The, the law of Moses gave training wheels to God's people as he's growing up a people. But when the, after Jesus, he, right, he gave to us the Holy Spirit which now teaches us how to live. And so the Bible in the New Testament teaches something called percentage giving. Now, this is a complicated sentence, so I thought I'd just, I'd just put it up here and, and give you a definition. If that's what it meant back then, what is percentage giving? I think the key to understand ancient first fruits and bring it into modern times would be this, percentage giving. Percentage giving is a spiritual discipline from the Bible practiced by Christians whereby stewards of God's money regularly return a percent of their income back to God by giving through the local church. So there's a lot there. 
it's percentage giving. It's a spiritual discipline. It's not a law. We're free in Christ. Uh, what, what is the percent? That's between you and God. Uh, I, I, many Christians take 10% as the starting point for no other reason than the Old Testament is the starting point. And we look back like Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle. Great quote from Randy Alcorn. He says, you're going to tell me an and, and, and ancient Israelite existing in agrarian economy in poverty uh, is going to give 10%. And me, I live in a... a, a this wealthy time period and this wealthy country, and I've, I've, I've been given, uh, I can see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and in the sense that I'm on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I've got all these advantages over my, my ancient forebear, the ancient Israelite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him do more than me? No. See? But at any rate, many Christians take 10% as a starting point. My point simply is that it's not a legalistic thing. It's a heart thing, percentage giving. So that's it. The most logical thing in the world is a heart that trusts God is going to give. So here we go. Let's, let's make the application. Like the first fruits offering of old, okay, if the first fruits was a declaration of trust, a declaration of ownership, a declaration of priority, guess what? Giving still means those same three things. First, percentage giving is still a declaration of trust. Think about that for a second. When you give off the top, when you give off that paycheck, what it's saying to yourself, what it's saying to your heart is, hey, God can be trusted. God is putting food on my table. I know you work hard at your job. I know you've got a lot of skills, but who gave you the job? Who gave you the skills to do it? It's still an act of trust. It is absolutely an act of trust to say, money, you've done a lot of good things. Money, I'm... I, I'm, I'm pleased with a lot of things you can buy. Money, you can, you can buy. You, you, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy me a boat. You can buy me, you know, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever, fine. You can do a Yeti, you know. You do a lot of things, okay? But money, I've seen how sneaky you are to try to get me to trust in you. And I've got a spiritual discipline I can do to keep you at bay. And it's called percentage giving. Percentage giving is a way of saying to my heart, it's God that I can trust. Over time, everybody in here, know, you know it, money is a counterfeit savior. It looks like it can do a lot of good things. And how many hearts are broken when that trust goes back again and again to money? It's saying, God, you're, you're my savior. You know, one of the things that has changed in the financial instruments our country uses and I make no comment, good or bad, on this. I leave this to many of you. Much smarter people than me can figure out whether or not this is good or bad. So I make no comment. I just want to make one observation. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when there weren't, like, debit cards and credit cards everywhere. There, there was just this thing called cash. Some of you are old enough to remember a time before Bitcoin. There was a time before Venmo. There was a time before all this, right? I know the youth are like, what? Shocking. You had to use paper bills? That's crazy. Did you have a barter system? So here, here's the deal. For everybody who can remember that, um, I make no comment as to whether or not that's good or bad or whether or not a country should use paper currency. I, I don't care. Here's the deal. I do know this. Here's what I'm going to miss. <clears throat> no matter what, when I used cash for everything, even if my heart didn't always live this way, at least I had to look at it on every... U.S. currency on every coin. At least I had to, even if I didn't always follow this, at least I had to stare and see the words, in God we trust. And I don't know whose decision that was. Some of you know your history. You know how all that happened. 
but it sure seems to me that on, an, on a financial instrument that so easily wants to become the idol of your heart, it seems to me that just like they put a, a warning sticker on a pack of cigarettes or they put a warning sticker on all these dangerous chemicals, they put a warning sticker right there on the U.S. dollar. Remember, it's not a savior. In God is our trust. And I'm going to miss that uh, if it's gone. That's all. We trust in the Lord, it says. If you go back to uh, verse 5, Sorry, I should have directed you. I, I think there's a progression here. It's a declaration of trust. And I think that honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, I think that, that, that is built upon all that comes before it, in the verses before it, like this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I love that with all your heart. That means I stake everything on the promises of God. I don't want half-hearted trust in God. I don't want a life that's got one foot trusting money and riches and wealth and my own, you know, uh, ability to earn and, 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 and another foot, like, sort of trusting God, too. Like, yeah, I, I can depend on God. I don't want that halfway in, halfway out. I want trust Lord with all your heart. I, wanted, I want you to do a belly flop on the omnipotence of God. I don't want this halfway in, halfway out. You ever see somebody jump off the rocks at Smith Lake? What happens if you halfway jump? You end up in the emergency room, right? Right? All your heart. Why? Because he's worthy of all your heart's trust. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. And to do that, i got to lean not on my own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. My own understanding says, no, 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 I've got to hoard money, and I've got to keep it all for myself and be safe, safe, uh, selfish. That way I can be safe and secure. That's my own understanding talking. My own understanding says, well, my financial advisor says, really, a better plan would be to leave out all this charitable giving, and a big part of that is my percentage giving to church. Ah, that's my own understanding. My own understanding says, I can honor the Lord once I give get to a better financial place. Once I get to have all that wealth, then once I become really, really wealthy, then I can become really, really generous. Oh, careful now. That's your own understanding talking. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Percentage giving is still, every time you give, it is still a declaration of trust. God can be trusted. Secondly, it's a declaration of ownership. Just like the first fruits offering, I, th I see a very clear parallel in New Testament giving. Percentage giving is still a declaration of ownership. It's a way of saying he owns everything. Look at verse 6. Who owns everything? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. To acknowledge someone means to give credit to someone. Percentage giving is a way of me praising God. It's, it's a way that you can praise God and say, you know what? This is all God's. Every bit of it belongs to God. Remember the, the, the Leviticus verse in chapter 25? Oh, God owns the land. He owns everything. So to acknowledge gives God credit. You know, there's acknowledgement. Uh, can you imagine you go to the movies, you see a great movie, and afterward uh, the credits are rolling, and you're, you, you know, you're kind of filing out of the theater, and somebody says, hey, check this out. And they roll the credits, and it's like, you see this big blank screen, and then after a minute, another credit comes up, and it's like, uh, yeah, it just sort of happened. Huh? Yeah, the movie sort of happened. So it's like, directed by, no one, produced by, it was the weirdest thing, it just came together, edited by, you won't believe it, it just sort of happened, right? Bang, it happened. Big bang, it all happened, I guess. Who gets the credit? I mean, you've seen the credits. It goes all the way to the fine print. It's like the intern who brought the star a sandwich. And he gets his name in there, right? They acknowledge everybody. 
So when we give, what we're doing is we are acknowledging. We are saying, it's all yours, God. I'm just the steward. I'm just the manager. Owners of nothing, stewards of everything. Now, to acknowledge ownership, how is percentage giving help us acknowledge ownership of everything? This is, uh, I think, a really cool benefit of giving in this first fruits way, a way to remind ourselves it's all God. It's a complicated sentence, so I may say it twice. Percentage giving is the literal dedication of a portion to represent the symbolic dedication of the whole. Let me say that again. When you give percentage offering, when you give percentage giving, when you give an offering, it's the literal dedication, the literal giving over of a portion to represent the symbolic representation of the whole. Uh, it's a little tricky. Let me give you some illustrations. Uh, I, want, I once met this, um, I think she, eh, I, she came across as a little um, uh, sanctimonious, this Christian. This is years and years ago in New York. And um, uh, she said to me, uh, I do not celebrate Christmas Day. And I was like, oh, but, but like you're a Christian. Like I thought that's like one of our like big holidays, you know. Um, I was like, I'm shocked to hear that. Why not? And she said, because every day we are to remember the incarnation of Jesus. And I was like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> now I feel guilty, right? She's right, isn't she? She's right. Of course, every, yes, every day we are to remember Bethlehem. Every day we are to remember that God became human flesh and, and came to earth to die for us, fine. But my point is, if you, if you sort of say every day's Christmas, then you end up making no day Christmas and you never celebrate the one thing you set out to celebrate, which was the incarnation. Everybody, everybody with me? So what do you do? How many days in the year are there? 365, leap day has 366. How many of them belong to God? Every last one of them. How many of those 365 days, or 366 if it's leap year, does God deserve to be praised for coming as Jesus at Bethlehem? How many days does he deserve praise for that? Every last one of them. So what we do is we take one day and we give that completely to the celebration of the incarnation. We do the Christmas day. Okay, this is Christmas day. But in doing so, we're not saying the other days aren't important. If anything, by literally lifting that one up, we are acknowledging he's the owner of all the rest. You do the same thing, some of you, with your time. You literally, how many... There's 24 hours in a day. How many of them are you supposed to spend in prayer? Technically, if you know the New Testament, you know this. Technically, pray without ceasing. Technically, you're supposed to spend all 24 hours in an attitude and a spirit of prayer. So what do you do? What you do is you have a quiet time in the morning. You have a daily devotion. And if you can spend a, even just a few minutes on a daily basis, say you could spend a whole hour. If you spend an hour in prayer, what you're doing is you're literally giving over one hour of prayer. And the other 23, you're symbolically saying, I'm doing this. I'm literally giving you this in full acknowledgement that you own all of it. That's what percentage giving is. I'm literally, because you own all of this, I'm taking a portion and I'm dedicating it. it that, that's it. That goes to that part for the Lord. But all of it for the Lord, see? In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of ownership. And finally, percentage giving is still a declaration of priority. First fruits, it's in the name, <laughs> first. Percentage giving is still a way of saying, in this household, it's God first. You know who, um, you know who really understood priority when it comes to this stuff? If you're like me, your mama. Or maybe your grandma. Can you imagine? Mama or maybe your grandma or somebody make just this big spread of food. So for some of you, this is Sunday afternoon dinner. If you, did, if you didn't grow up in a home where they did a big Sunday afternoon dinner, just, just, just picture Thanksgiving or something. Oh, man. Close your eyes. You can just imagine it. There's the turkey. 
There's the ham. There's all the mashed potatoes and gravy. There's a dressing, a stuffing. I forget which one's the north, which one's the south, which one, whatever. You got uh, all, the, oh, all the trimmings. There's some fruit. Get that off the table. I mean, can you see it? You got all that there, right? And just as you're there, will you imagine with me? You are a teenage boy, and you are hungry in only the way a teenage boy can be hungry. Anybody? Yeah, you guys are like amening right now. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? You got that ravenous hunger, and you are ready to tear in. You can't wait. Oh, it all looks so good. Oh, man, you're just, your mouth is watering. You ready? And Mama says, all right, before we eat, I've asked Grandfather here to lead us in a prayer. And you're like, oh, he prays so long, right? And grandfather begins that Thanksgiving day, and he begins praying. And as he begins praying, you realize, as a ravenously hungry teenage boy, you realize there's no telling when this prayer could go on. And so in the middle of his prayer, you're like, I've had enough. And you just start grabbing the turkey, and you grab the, the, the rolls, and you start grabbing, and you start just chowing down. Grandpa's still praying, and you just start eating. Let me ask you a question. What would mama have done to you? That's right. You wouldn't be here today. You, <laughs> you don't live through that. You don't live to tell about it, do you? Can you imagine? She would have ripped that food out of you. I mean, right? can you imagine? There'll be plenty of time for that. You can even have seconds. You can have thirds. All this has been spread for you. You can enjoy all this. It's great blessings. But when you look around at all these blessings, you forgot the most important thing. God first. Period. Here's what I found. My heart can be like that rebellious teenage boy so many times. And I look around at all the blessings. I think, but what about me? What about this? What? And it's like priority percentage giving is like a loving mama or a grandmother coming in in your life going, hey, yeah, there's a lot of blessings. God owns it all, and he's allowed you to use it. That, isn't that great? He's allowed you to be the steward of all this stuff. But you've forgotten. God first. Period. And that takes humility. Look at the verse. Look carefully. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. What that verse is saying is, if God first, then I'm not going to... You ever heard somebody say, don't, don't, don't be too big for your britches. Don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't uh, come down off your high horse. That's all. The, the, the proverb here is saying, hey, hey man, take, take second chair on this. You don't have to run the universe. It's God first. It's God who can be trusted. It's God who's going to be the priority in my giving, in my time, in my life. And here's the great thing. There's a promise associated with this proverb. If you will stop, you don't have to control other people. You don't have to control all your circumstances. You don't have to run the universe. Just fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And if you will do that, if you will God first in, in your giving, in your time, in your life, he said, the, the proverb says there's a benefit. If you will put God first and you will go to second chair, it will help your blood pressure. Look at what verse 8 says. If you'll do that, if you, if, you, if you don't have to be the boss of everything, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Your body will thank you for not being king of the universe for a few hours. Let God run the show. Give God the priority. And the Bible says right there, that'd be the best thing for you. Now, what's the most natural thing of a life that says, you know what? It's a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of ownership. It's a declaration of priority. I'm not going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm not going to do the thing that comes natural to me. 
What's the most natural thing in the world? I'm going to honor the Lord with my wealth. And now we're back full circle and with the first fruits of all our produce. You become a blessable person. In fact, not just blessing. Verse 10 says you'll be overflowable. I think we'll pick up on this next week. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with new wine. You'll have an overflowable life. Well, I hope that you take this away. You go, wait a minute. So giving, it's not about guilt. It's not about condemnation. Giving is about trust. It's a declaration of my heart about who can be trusted, the Lord. It's a declaration of ownership. And it's a declaration of priority. Trust, ownership, priority. Top. There you go. First fruits. Keep God at the top here. Trust, ownership, priority. One, uh, one word, and, and, and then I'll take my seat. The, the, it would be a shame to me if, uh, see how these two verses go together? It sure would be a shame to me if, um, if there was a misunderstanding about this. It, it seems to me it would be a shame if you thought that the verse was saying, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then God has to bless you. Look, then barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That would be a shame to me if that was your understanding of that verse, that the only reason for your giving is so that somehow God will give you even more in return. Uh, I, I don't doubt that your, your life will experience uh, blessing as you walk under the blessing of God, but I think that that, um, that is a very contractual way of looking at this, as if you put God in your debt with some sort of ironclad contract. So you're telling me, I become a percentage giver, and then you, God, you now have to bless me because we're in a contract together. I think that would be a misunderstanding and I think it would be a real disservice to how a Christian relates to giving when it comes to their relationship with God. It's not a contract. It's a love relationship. That's why I started with grace. Look, I've got a lot of contracts in my life. I have a ton of contracts in my life. You do too. Do you know what a contract? You know how I know I have a lot of contracts? I get bills. That's what a bill is. A bill is just a monthly invoice so that I can honor this contract I have. I've got contracts with all sorts of people. I have one contract. Maybe you've had a contract similar to this. I have a contract with a company, and they provide for me cellular service for my mobile phone. I got a cell phone contract. They agree to provide service, and I agree to pay them every month. I have a service to keep the lights on in my house with the power board. It's great. They, they provide electricity. I don't know how all that stuff works. I don't know where they get it, but somehow it comes to my house, and I pay them every month. I love it. I'm not against contracts. Those are contractual relationships. I've got one um, with uh, a newspaper and a subscription. These are great. They provide me with this paper. I provide them. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I, I, got, all these, uh, I got all these monthly contracts. Here's the thing. If one of them, let's take the cellular provider, if they came to me one day and they said, <clears throat> Mr. Richter, a little bit of an unorthodox... Uh, strategy we're trying here, but we've got, uh, we'd like to adjust the relationship of our, our con contractual obligations. Okay. I'd be very suspicious. And they're like, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to provide you with the exact same level of service and uh, you, you, every, same phones, you have everything, but we're going to cut your bill in half. What's the trick? You know, <laughs> like what's the catch? Can you imagine? I'd be like, yeah. I, Let's go even further with the illustration. Imagine they say, Mr. Richter, it's, again, very unorthodox, but we're trying a new thing. Uh, we're testing it out on some customers. We're going to provide you all the same services. We're going to give you everything, and we're not going to charge you at all. We're going to take away your bill. You're not, you're not going to owe a thing every month. I'd be like, yes, 
You mean to tell me I get all the benefits, I get all the blessings of what you provide, and I don't have to put anything into this relationship? I don't have to do anything? That is a sweet deal. I get all the blessings at now half the price, or in my other illustration, at none of the price. Are you kidding? That's the operation I want in a legal contract with all these providers. I don't mind that at all. In fact, the, the sort of the more I can get and the less I can pay, that's a great deal for the consumer. That's not at all what I have with God. You know how I know? You know how you know? You don't have a contract with God. This is not a legalistic thing. Giving is not a thing where I put in money so that, God, you have to bless me and we'll keep this relationship going. Ooh. No. You have a relationship. You know how I know? You know how you can know? If I were to come to you today and say that the word from the Lord was, you may never again give another dime to the Lord or to the Lord's work. You wouldn't rejoice like you would with a cell phone provider, would you? You'd be gutted. You'd say, don't take away that privilege from me. What do you mean? Just imagine, do that little thought experiment, and you'll feel what I mean. If you were told you can never give again, for the rest of your life, you can never again give, you would not say, woohoo, I still get all the blessings of God, I won't lose any of the blessings of God? Nope. I can get all the blessings of God, and now at a discount. You wouldn't even, your mind wouldn't even go that way. You would think, don't deny me that. That's an avenue of worship. That's how I tell my heart, you can trust God. God is the owner of everything. He's priority. You wouldn't be excited about that. You'd be crushed. You'd be gutted. You would say, I wouldn't want that. Why? Because you're doing this right. You have a heart that's being shaped more and more like your father. And just like you don't tell, you don't tell the, the worship band up here, these singers, you don't tell singers not to sing. Singers got to sing in worship. Preachers got to preach and preach and preach and preach, preach. You don't tell little kids, right? When I remember the age when my little, you know, it's so much fun when like, they go through a phase where they don't walk anywhere, they dance. They dance from point A to point B. I miss that. You don't tell a little toddler, hey, no fancy walking. <laughs> Regular walking is all you need, right? You don't tell singers not to sing. You don't tell preachers not to preach. You don't tell toddlers not to dance. And you don't tell a Christian who's been blown away by the grace of God not to give. It's the most natural thing in the world to do. And if you felt that just then, if you know that, it means you're on the right track. It means you, you're growing in this. Musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response. I hope the invitation is clear to, to, to think about giving. Not if, 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 if you have to clean some dust off uh, old messages about stewardship where you've been taught it's a legalistic thing or it's a, or it's a guilt thing. No there's, no, there's no room for that. It's a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of ownership. And it's a declaration of priority in my life to give. And I follow the example of the one who's the ultimate giver. Didn't Jesus do Proverbs 3 perfectly? I mean, he trusted the Lord with all his heart. Remember in the garden when he said, not my will, but yours be done? That's not leaning on your own understanding. That's honoring the Lord with everything. He honored the Lord with his wealth. He didn't even have a home. He didn't have anything. In fact, uh, uh, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Your barns will be filled. You have all that grain and your vats run over with new wine. I think it's interesting. The, the one time I can think of when Jesus had all the grain he could ever want, it was the feeding of the 5,000. He just gave it away. And remember when he made all that wine, when did he do it? The wedding at Cana in John 2. He didn't keep it for himself and hoard it. Oh, wow, you know, I can sell all this and make a great profit. He just gave it away. That's how he lived his whole life. And then at the cross, he gave himself away for us and our salvation. 
so that we could, in response, honor the Lord with everything we have. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Proverbs 3. I pray, oh God, that for believers who are here, blood-bought children of God, they love you, they've served you, they need a word of encouragement. And pray, oh God, that they would be encouraged this morning to know you can be trusted. That they can be encouraged to know that you own everything. And they can speak truth over rebellious parts of our lives. We all have them. And remind those parts, no, God first. He's a priority. Grant encouragement to your people. Keep guilt, condemnation, and shame far away. They don't need that. It doesn't belong in the life of a blood-bought child of God. And for anyone who's listening to this or who's here today who doesn't yet know you, let today be the day of their salvation. Let them know about your great giving. Let them know. Let them hear. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart in such a way they know that you cannot outgive God. You love us so much. You gave your only begotten Son. Grant that to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.